1 Timothy chapter 3. Read with me if you would, 14 through 16. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Amen. We're going to spend a lot of time on that last verse. It's a wonderful verse. But just uh, just logistically, you know, this is almost like a little glimpse glimpse into history in verse 14 where Paul says these things write unto you. He's writing to Timothy, of course, the young pastor who was his disciple and the uh, pastor of the church at Ephesus, okay? And he says, these things write I unto you, hoping to come unto you shortly. I want to come see you face to face, come to Ephesus and see you face to face. And he says, but if not, okay? He wanted to go and see him personally, but if not, basically he's given him some instructions. And the instructions, of course, are not just for Timothy. They are for believers, okay? These, these pastoral epistles, you know, that you can't say that, that everything that's written here is just for Timothy. There are things in Scripture that are obviously directed to a certain audience, but these Scriptures are given to us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable that the man of God may be uh, perfect and mature, right, and instructed in every good work. And so when he says here, he says, If I tarry long, verse 15, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God. Now, that's basically the, the phrase or the thought there. How should you behave yourself in the house of God? And we've talked about it. There's a, there, God, the God that we serve is a God of order. On the first day, he created these things. On the second day, he created these things. The evening and the morning were the first day. He's a God of order. He does amazing things. He does miraculous things. He can intervene in nature anytime he wants to and do do something uh, unusual or miraculous. But he still is a God of order. So we've been reading uh, in the Bible and in 1 Timothy in our studies, there's the order for the church, an order for uh, who's to be in leadership in church, right? We've studied the qualifications for bishops or pastors or overseers. We studied the last week the qualifications for deacons who are ministers and servers in the church, who may be able to teach as well. But their qualifications, and their, uh, because God's a God of order. He doesn't, things aren't just thrown together and whatever sticks, you know, sticks, or throw it up in the air and, and, you know, and see what happens. He is very, very much a God of order. Even the gifts of the Spirit, how they're used, they're all amazing, they're miraculous, they're holy, they're of God. But even the gifts of the Spirit have a place and order within the local assembly, within the church. He gives that in 1 Corinthians. And so he's a God of order, and he's saying here, how, if, I, if I tarry Timothy and can't get to you quickly, I'm still writing this to you to instruct you so you would know how to behave yourself in the house of God. So it's not just for Timothy, it's for believers. What does behave mean? It's not just like, you know, sit up, you're slouching, or stop chewing that gum or something like that. Behave means to remain, to live, to busy oneself, to abide in, or to be used. So how, I'm writing these things to instruct you how you are to be used in the house of God. 
how you are to busy yourself in the house of God, how you are to abide and live and remain in the house of God. I don't think it's just also physically just once we step into the four walls of the building. I think it has to do with how we as believers in Christ are to live and to walk and to, to remain and abide and be used by the Lord. That word ought, you know, that word ought is a word that uh, people don't like to hear because it's putting a demand on you. You ought to do this, right? But the Bible's filled with oughts. The Bible's filled with a lot of things that, that we ought to do and that, that people should do. Amen. Peter's told, says, then Peter and the, all the apostles spoke unto the council saying, we ought to obey God rather than men. Right? So the things we ought to do are the things that God instructs us to do. Those are oughts. Those become responsibilities for us. People don't want to hear it. They want to cast off all restraints and just live um, what they think is freedom, but it's really bondage. It's bondage to sin. People don't like to hear a lot of oughts. You, you ought to do this. Well, God's word is filled with lots of oughts, and we ought to obey God rather than men. And there's a way that we ought to abide and serve and remain within the house of God. And that's what Paul's talking to Timothy about. Okay, but he, he gives it here, and he, he calls it how you ought to behave thyself in the house of God. And then he gives a little, I guess, description or furtherance of what he means by the house of God. We know the house of God to be the church. He goes, but which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. There's not a lot of truths. There's the truth. There's a lot of what's called truth, and, and people are on quest for truth and that kind of thing, and truth is relative and that kind of thing. When it comes to the truth, there is the truth and everything that lies outside of that. There's the truth as it is in Christ Jesus and everything that lies outside of that. Sanctify them through thy truth, Jesus said, praying to his Father for his disciples, thy word is truth. Okay, so we keep that in mind. The house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So we're going to talk about this for just a moment. Uh, the church of the living God, in the, in the Old Testament, we know that, that the Lord chose, it was his own choosing, to meet with men and manifest his, himself in different ways and forms, but primarily there became an order, and it was the tabernacle, right? And the tabernacle with all the types and shadows of the, the golden candlesticks and the brazen altar and the altar of incense and uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And the Lord says, there I'm going to meet with you in the Holy of Holies, right? Uh, but where the, the wings of the cherubims touched on the top of the Ark, he says, there I'm going to meet with you. He chose to manifest his, himself in his presence there in the Old Testament in the tabernacle. It was, quote, a dwelling place for God. We know the tabernacle couldn't contain God. The heaven of heavens, David said, can't contain the Lord. And yet he, he chose to meet with men and dwell there. Okay, In the New Testament, since Christ came and did his, his, his work of redemption and finished his work of redemption on the cross through his death, his burial, his resurrection and ascension uh, at the right hand of the Father, we're in the New Testament that the, the church is is no, not a building it's not a place we know that the church is quote the body of christ he he chose that word for a reason it's not just a little uh you know phrase and so he indwells in his body he indwells in the individual believer if you're born again it is christ in you the hope of glory 
You, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Literally, Christ is in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. The moment you truly gave your life to Christ and were saved. And he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? You've brought, been brought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's or his possession. Okay? So in the New Testament, this born again is really a New Testament uh, term and an event that takes place. Old Testament saints that were saved, they were saved by faith, looking forward to Christ. But they weren't technically born again, born of the Spirit of God. They trusted in the Lord, and the Lord counted that or imputed that to them for righteousness. We are born again, and as such, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church, you, if two people are, are there, and nobody showed up tonight, just me and, and Roy, okay? We'd be me, Roy, and the Holy Spirit, okay? The Lord would be here, the church is meeting. That's the church. And so the, the building is where we meet, and I thank God for it. But the building itself is not the church. You know, the owners that, the guy that we brought this place from, it was just the Lord. He was in the process of making it a reception hall where he was going to host events, and he couldn't get his liquor license. and ran into some, uh, some kickback from some of the people around. Well, we know God had that or orchestrated for us. And uh, but my point is, it's not the building. It could have been something else. And, you know, uh, maybe after we're raptured, it'll be, it'll be something else. And I won't really care at that point. But uh, we are the church, the individual believer, and then corporately. And every joint supplies every joint. That's the church, the church of the living God. What does he mean by the pillar and the ground of truth? And so uh, pillar was in, in the days that, you know, Paul would have been writing this, a pillar was used and still is used to support a structure. If you built a building, there's pillars. The, these big beams that go up here, they had to be strong and they had to be set probably before everything else, okay? These, these big pillars, they go up. And so a pillar was, is, was used and is used to support the structure of a building, but it's also pillars... Uh, and I didn't really think of this, but in study, and it says a pillar was also used and erected, say, in a community or a town or a gate enter into the city or something. A pillar would be erected to post notices on, to give some words from the king, to give some words, how's the battle going, or some instructions, or there's going to be a taxing or whatever. Uh, it was posted, and people would go and gather, and they'd look and see what, what was officially being spoken to them. And I think that's a good uh, thought when you think about the church. The church is not only the pillar and ground of truth, but, but in the sense of we're the, the foundation of truth. People need the Lord. They, they know to come look for a church, a good Bible-preaching church, right? Or go look for a good Bible-believing Christian that they know. They, they know that. They know, know enough. They might not believe it or want to give their life to Christ, but if they did, Praise God, they would know where to go, okay? So the, the church is the pillar and ground of truth in that sense, but also we're the proclaimer of truth, like that pillar with the, the notices that are tacked up on it. We're the proclaimer of truth, so we're the ground, and the, we're the defenders of truth, the proclaimers of truth, and that is a very important responsibility and, and privilege of the church is to be the defenders of 
of the truth and the proclaimers of the truth. It's going to start with how we behave ourselves, so to speak, how we live, live it out. This doctrine that we, we preach and hold to and is on our doctrinal statement and we fight for is worth nothing if personally to us if we're not going to live by it. If it's just a, a set of beliefs that we like to argue with people who hold different beliefs, it does us no good. But, it, it, but if it is what it is supposed to be, healthy doctrine, doctrine simply means what you believe. Well, if I believe it, then it's going to affect my life. If I really believe it, it's going to affect my life and change my life. And so the, the church is that. And so there's a way that we're to behave <coughs> or live or be used or busy ourselves with as long as we're here on this earth, y'all. You know what? Keep it real simple. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in this world today. A whole lot of things that we can read about right here as far as just signs. Maybe not specific battles or dates and things like that, but signs of the time. Mo times morally, spiritually, deception, darkness, wars, rumors of wars, uh, Israel being a cup of trembling and the focal point of the world and so forth. There's so much going on that we know that we are in these days. And in these days, keep it really simple and keep Christ in your front view mirror. I mean, keep him in your, in your sights. Keep your eyes upon the Lord and just make it simple. How do I live? Well, we live for God. We live for God. What, what steers me through life and directs me? The Lord does, okay? Do we busy ourselves until he comes? Absolutely. He said, occupy until I come. That means busy yourself with. We don't, get, we don't go hunker down in a bomb shelter waiting for the end, okay? The end's going to come. It's going to come when the Lord says it's going to come. And before the end comes, we're going to be raptured. And I don't want to be hunkered down in a bomb shelter when the Lord comes and catches me away. I want to be serving him, and the Lord's called us to. So I want to spend the rest of this, this message tonight speaking about verse 16. So look at it with me, if you would. So he closes this chapter, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. There are six things that he talks about the Lord. Manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into to glory. This is one of the most amazing uh, scriptures, uh, I would think, to, to me in the whole Bible, it's just amazing. It's just exalting the Lord. It's just speaking a mouthful in this one scripture. You remember that series that, uh, that we did earlier this year on the doctrine of Christ? And I'll keep, I've referred to it a few times lately. This was one of the key passages that in all the sermons, Son of God, Son of Man, the Healer, the Sanctifier, right, the Advocate, all the different things that Christ was and is, uh, this is one of the scriptures I kept coming back to and because it, it speaks so much about our Lord and Savior. But when he says here at the beginning of this verse, without controversy, and then what follows, okay, is what, what is without controversy. Without controversy simply means indisputable. That's literally what that means. What I'm about to say, Paul says, what I'm about to speak, okay, about God, he says is indisputable. It's an indisputable fact. It's undeniable. That's what he says. Without controversy or with, without uh, undeniably, great is the mystery of godliness. Well, what is the mystery of godliness? 
it's actually not mysterious the way we think of something's mysterious and kind of vague and you can't quite figure it out. That's not what the word means here. Great is the mystery of godliness, not mysteriousness of godliness. Mystery of godliness simply means it was kept secret. It was kept secret. So when you go through the Old Testament, starting in Genesis 3, where the uh, first man and woman sinned and rebelled against God, and now sin has entered into the human race, passed on to every man, and so death passed upon all men, and that all have sinned, right? That's the first Adam. And from that moment where God's saying to the serpent, here's your judgment, and here's this man, your judgment, and to the woman, your, your judgment or curse that's because of this sin, he tells the, the devil or Satan, he tells the serpent that one day there's going to be the seed of the woman. That doesn't even make sense. The seed is from the, from the man. But the seed of the woman, because Adam had no part, nor did, did Mary, so to speak, other than bearing the child, it was of Christ would be born of the Holy Ghost. So that was promised way back when there was a, the first sin. And so uh, it was kept secret, so to speak. There were prophecies of a Savior coming. Moses talked. The Lord spoke through Moses. Uh, I forget which exact verse where he says, that prophet, I'm, that prophet's going to come. That's why when John the Baptist was preaching, the Pharisees said, are you that prophet? They knew which prophet, that final prophet, who was going to do the will of the Lord and be that Messiah. There are little bits and pieces all through the Old Testament. It's like a tapestry woven together from Isaiah's prophecies about uh, is a, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray, is laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, different prophecies that spoke about Christ, but nobody had the full picture. They knew he was coming. So in that sense, that was the mystery of Christ. Not mysterious, like vague and makes your hair stand up on your head. Um, it was kept secret until it was time for it to be revealed. That's all it means. And God does that. Actually, this coming Sunday, the, the message the Lord has given me is similar to that. There's things that there are things that were secret that are now revealed. There are things that are now kept secret that are going to be revealed, that we're going to know in one day. When we know him, well, we'll be like him. When we see him, we'll be like him and so forth. We'll see him as he is. We'll know him even as we are known of him. All right. So that's simply what it means. That this mystery of godliness It's something that was kept secret. Speaking specifically of Christ here, because that's who he's talking about. This mystery of godliness that was kept secret, but then it became revealed when Christ himself was revealed. Okay. And so Christ himself is that, quote, mystery of godliness, godliness that was spoken of, that was revealed. And Christ alone is the one and the only one who can produce godliness in a man, in a, in a person. Not going to be godly apart from being born again. Not going to be godly apart from abiding in Christ and walking in the Lord and bearing that fruit. So I want to just read this. I'll read it from uh, Romans 16. But now to him that is of power... To establish you, this is Romans 16, 25 and 26, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery. So the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. But it wasn't secret anymore when the angels said, you know, uh, this day is born in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
and the shepherds went and told everybody and then he grew up and began to he was that did his, his earthly ministry and mission okay but now is made manifest that's what he says so it this christ was the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret from the beginning of the world but now is made manifest and it and by the by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of the faith. And so I don't get too caught up in the word mystery. It just means it was kept secret, but now it's made manifest. And I don't think we're to make anything more of it than that. So let's keep reading in 1 Timothy 3.16. God was manifest in the flesh. So I'm going to look at each of these six things just quickly tonight, and we'll, this is as far as we'll go tonight. Verse 16, God was manifest in the flesh. Manifest is a word that's used a lot in Scripture. It's used with, with Christ because here's God Almighty, and he manifests himself to men. He might manifest himself to Moses in the burning bush. He might manifest himself to the children of Israel in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Okay? He can manifest himself at his most perfect represent, uh, manifestation was absolutely in Christ Jesus. When God Almighty stepped down from heaven and took upon himself the form of a human being, that was the perfect. He was in his life and his words and his deeds and his character and everything was the most perfect representation of Almighty God to men. There's not going to be perfected on. There's not going to be a better uh, manifestation of the Lord to a lost world than Jesus Christ. And so God was manifest in the flesh. Remember in our study on the doctrine of Christ, I'll refer to it a lot. What, who was manifest in, that's why I use this, this verse so much, who was manifest in the flesh? Was it Michael the archangel that was manifest in the flesh like the Jehovah's Witnesses believe? Uh, was it a, a good prophet like the Mormons believe? Now, the Bible says God was manifest in the flesh. This is an important scripture. This is an important truth. Who was manifest in the flesh? God was manifest in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then we skip down to the same chapter of John, chapter 1, and we read in verse 14, the Word that was God in the beginning... Was, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's very clear in scripture. We take it for granted. We just believe it. There are people in churches that don't believe Jesus was God. That don't believe he was divine. So this is uh, such a key passage. Who was manifest in the flesh? God was manifest in the flesh. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of, in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and being found in fashion as a man. God, found him, we found him in the form of a man, okay? And so uh, I'll, I'll read this from... Colossians 127, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He was manifest in the flesh. Now he lives within our hearts when we give our life to him. But the incarnation, look at our 
church doctrinal statement. Look at any good Bible-believing church doctrinal statement. And this is one of the first things you're going to come across. We believe, dot, 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 in all the different things we believe. We believe in the incarnation of Christ, the bodily manifestation of Almighty God, that that is God, it was God in the flesh. It was none other, okay, than, than the Lord in the flesh. So I'll just read this. I have a lot of scriptures. I'll tell you where I'm getting them from if you want to take notes. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, so the mystery, it was kept secret, prophesied, prophesied, all the prophets prophesied, right, right up until John. And, and then when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Hebrews 10.5, wherefore when he cometh, this is a quotation from an Old Testament prophecy, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. These are important. These are not little side notes to Christianity. The fact that Christ, Almighty God, was manifest in the flesh is a must. It is a fundamental truth. It is a foundational truth. If you believe that, again, like the Jehovah's Witness, that uh, that, that wasn't Jesus on the cross, and first it wasn't a cross, it was a stake, because cursed is everyone that hangs on a cross. They don't believe Jesus went to a cross, but he died on a stake. But it wasn't really Jesus. It was, I think, the archangel Michael that took on the faith, uh, came and manifest himself like Jesus, died on the cross, then he went back to being Michael the archangel afterwards. This, it's false. It's not true. It's not biblical. Our Savior, Almighty God, who was God in eternity past, he took on a, a human body. Now, I'll say this. It's very important as well that though he took, our Lord took on, an Almighty God took on a human form in Christ Jesus, that he, he was human completely. He was fully man, but he was not sinned enough. And there's a difference. There's a huge difference, okay? In other words, he was not a descendant of Adam. The first man was, was, uh, was Adam. The first Adam was, was a man of, of the earth, earthy. The second man was a quickening spirit, was the Lord from heaven. First Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam was just a fleshy man of the earth, earthy. The second Adam was the Lord from heaven, Jesus Christ. He did not have that nature of the first Adam, specifically in the sin nature. So he was fully man with hair and heart and liver and lungs and blood pumping through his veins and skin. And he got cold and he got hot and he got tired and he got hungry and he got sleepy. All those things, all those things, he was a man, fully man. He was not sinful man. He was not a descendant of Adam. He had none of that blood or bloodline in him. So I want to read a few more verses. Again, just for time's sake, I'm going to go ahead and read them. 2 Corinthians 5.19, to wit that God was in Christ. Who was in Christ? God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Okay? God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. 1 John 1, 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Okay, that which was from the beginning, John says in 1 John. 
we have seen, we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life with a capital W, the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Who was? God. The Son that was always with the Father was manifested unto us. And John says, we saw him, we handled him, we touched him. Okay? We were around him and we know him. And then one more scripture on the manifestation here is Romans 8, 3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Okay, do you got that? God sending, the law couldn't do it, but Christ could do it, what the law couldn't do. God sent, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He didn't say he'd send his son as sinful flesh. He sent him in the likeness, this likeness, of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. The fact that Jesus came in the flesh, the Gnostics don't believe that. The Gnostics that Paul and John would have been combating even in their day, they didn't believe that. We believe that. That is a must, okay? Uh, say there's a, there's a few things, probably not as many as we think, but there are some things, you know, you think you should meet once a week, we meet twice a week, who's to say who's right, you know, things like this. Pastor wears a tie in this church. I'm not saying everybody has to wear a tie, I'm holding it to a tradition that I believe I'm supposed to, to keep a standard. So next, next year I'm not wearing flip-flops and a swimsuit up here, okay? I want us to hold to a standard, even if the world might think it's silly. People differ on things like that, but you can't differ on the, the manifestation of Almighty God in the flesh and still be a Christian and not believe that, okay? This is what we believe. This is our doctrine. I don't know how far I'll get tonight. This is a good verse. Just, all right, so he's manifest in the flesh. What's the next thing? Justified in the spirit. I'll say right here that Christ did not have to, have to be justified in the sense that every other man has to be justified. You know, I think of the little uh, phrase, I don't know where I heard it in my life, justified means just as if I never sinned, okay? The, Jesus never had to be justified in the sense that every single human being has to be justified. He, he is just and the justifier of them that believe on Jesus, Romans 3.26. But he didn't have to be justified in that sense. He is the justifier. So what does it mean he was justified in the spirit? It means he was proved to be, or basically uh, he was vindicated is the word that, that, that's used when I'm studying this. People that didn't believe he was God, remember how he went to his own town and the people there said, this is a carpenter's son. And they were offended at him and they didn't believe him. He said, a prophet's not without honor saving his own you know, among his own people, he was vindicated or proven to be. That's what it means when he says justified in the spirit. When he was raised by the eternal spirit, that's how he was raised, okay? Raised by the eternal spirit. It, in, in everything in his life, including that resurrection, proved him to be who he said he was. In that sense, he was justified or vindicated before men and before the world, before angels, before everybody. Of all the doubters and all the naysayers <clears throat> and all the demons who really knew he was God but didn't want men to know he was God and blasphemed and so forth, he was vindicated 
openly before them all. He was proven to be who he said he would be. So that in that sense, he was, he was justified. They said, is not this Jesus? This was his home, hometown folks that he grew up with. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? And they doubted him. They didn't believe. And, and we read, read other scriptures. People were offended at him. They, this guy, who does he think he is? He's blaspheming the Lord. And yet, and when it all was said and done, he was vindicated or justified before men. Okay? He proved to be what he claimed to be. He proved to be what he claimed to be. If you or I said, I'm the son of God, worship me, uh, there's no vindication in that. We're just liars or charlatans. We're trying to trick people. Come and follow me. I'm the, I'm the second prophet that came out. I'm the next one after Jesus, and you have to hear me. Uh, there's no, not going to be any validation of that or vindication other than demonic spirits probably you know, cheering me on it, maybe manifesting something. But the Lord was justified by, by so many different things. He was justified by his words. What he preached, never a man spake like this man spoke. Nobody spoke like Jesus. John the Baptist, who was anointed, greatest prophet, he didn't speak like Jesus spoke. Never anybody spoke. The actual fulfillment, his life being a fulfillment of all those prophecies that we talked about in the Old Testament, that justified or vindicated him, his works or his miracles. In fact, John says, if all the miracles were written, uh, the world couldn't contain the books, but these, the, these few that we've written in the Bible, and there are many, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Okay, it's a vindication or justification. So he, show, he was shown to be the Son of God, not justified in the sense that sinners are justified. Vindicated is really a, 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 the word. His own father's testimony at John's baptism, when Jesus was baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. At the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son, hear him. All these things validated or vindicated Christ as being the son of God. And, and the resurrection without question to me is probably the greatest. All the prophecies and everything, but the resurrection where, it's, where uh, he rose from the dead because it's not possible that he should be holding of it, of death, Peter said on the day of Pentecost, right? He's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he's given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. That assurance, that vindication, what people still can choose not to believe. You can have an evil heart of unbelief. A lot of people do and are stiff-necked, but he validated it and proved himself to be who he said he was. I want to read one scripture. Turn with me to Romans. You might not get through this verse tonight. Probably won't. Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Well, let's pick up verse 2. Which he had promised afore by the prophets, right? All those prophecies in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. In a fleshly sense, both of his parents, in a fleshly sense, Joseph and Mary were both from David's line, 
okay? It was a kingly line. And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So he was declared to be. And he was proven to be who he declared to be and who God Almighty declared him to be. Amen. The son of God. And so uh, let's, look, let's, look at, uh, let's look at one more tonight. Okay. Manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. That might sound like a little thing, but angels are God's servants. They are his ministers. Flaming spirits of fire, I think they're described in, in the Psalms. We know two by name. We know Gabriel, who made a lot of announcements like to Mary and to Joseph and, and others, and, uh, and to Daniel. And there's Michael the archangel, specifically the archangel of Israel. And so, but angels are God's ministers. That they're his ministers to do his bidding and to do his will. So the Lord, when was Jesus Christ seen of angels? And what does that even matter? Well, they saw him in heaven before he ever came. Okay. They saw him at his birth. The heavenly host that appeared to the shepherds on the hillsides of Judea outside of Bethlehem. And said, I'm bringing you good, good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Right. And the heavens were shining bright and filled with the heavenly host. We're saying glory to God in the highest, right? Angels were there at his birth. Angels were there specifically, and there's more than these, but I jotted these down. At Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, when he was tempted 40 days and nights and fasted 40 days and nights, and the Satan finished his temptation, and the Lord defeated him by the word of God and his obedience and adherence to the word of God, it says then angels came and ministered to him. He physically was very weak and hungry and probably about as physically low and weak as he had ever been in his life. He had a human body. Angels came and ministered to him at the temptation in the wilderness. His agony in the garden, we read of angels ministering to him before when he finished that time and before he was going to be arrested at the resurrection of, of the dead the angels were there you know when when paul talks and we'll close with this when paul talks about the gospel you ever want to see where is the gospel in a nutshell in the bible first corinthians 15 the first four or five verses this is the gospel which i pre which i preached to you and where by which you were saved and and by which in which you now stand you know and so forth he says christ was uh Christ was crucified according to the scriptures, right? And then buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, on resurrection morning, right? And then he was seen of the other apostles. Then he was seen of over 500 brethren believing at one time. Wherever 500 believers were gathered, someplace Jesus appeared to them all at once. And most of them were still living at the time Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, then he was seen of all the apostles, he says. Then he was seen, lastly, of me, Paul, on the road to Damascus as one born out of due time. But before any of those people saw him, the angels saw him on resurrection morning. Seen of angels. They were the ones that rolled the stones away. They were the ones that told the women, why seek ye the living among the dead? It is important. It's important because God's word says so. He was seen of angels at every uh, all through his life and death and burial and resurrection. And we'll close with this. He was seen uh, by angels at his resurrection, at his ascension. 
his ascension. Forty days after he rose from the dead, appeared to his disciples at least three times. I think the last time by the Sea of Tiberias where he told Peter how, you know, uh, feed my sheep and so forth and how he would be martyred for the Lord. And then he led them. Uh, he led them to out the outskirts of Jerusalem by the Mount of Olives. And they watched him go up in the clouds, received him and angels were there. And angels spoke to the, the early church and said, why, why are you staring up into heaven? The same Jesus you've seen go in the clouds is going to come again in like manner as you've seen him go. So, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. A couple of more scriptures about angels. Then the devil leaveth him. This is when he was tempted. And behold, angels came and ministered unto him. This is on the cross. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Earthquake. No, it's just at the resurrection. There was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And the last one I'll read is from Acts, which I just referred to. <clears throat> and you shall be witnesses unto me, he says. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men, that's angels, stood by them in white apparel. This was angels speaking to them. I didn't get finished with that, y'all. There's three more of, of these six things about great is the mystery of godliness that I want to talk about next week. And I'm really excited about it, but I'm very excited about the start of chapter four. So if you just between now and maybe we'll start on it next week, I think we probably will about the end times deception, talking about it because we're seeing it in our day. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter day times some should depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we're going to really get into that uh, starting probably next week after we finish the end of chapter 3. But, y'all, the altar's open. We don't have music, but I do. Or I'm, we're going to still have an altar tonight. And simply this, y'all, we were describing, or the Bible is describing, this mystery of godliness that was kept secret and then fully revealed in Christ. We're blessed to have the full revelation of Christ, to see perfectly, and we can accept or reject. Thank God we've accepted, and now I want to know him more, but to just come and spend a few minutes before you go home tonight, spend a few uh, moments just worshiping the Lord that was manifest in the flesh, right? Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the world, believed in the world, received up in the glory, and, and just come and worship the Lord for a few minutes and thank him. Thank the Lord that your eyes and our eyes have been opened. We're not walking around in blindness. He was justified by, in the spirit. Everything, including this word right here, vindicates or validates the Lord Jesus Christ. He was who he said he was. He did rise again. He's risen in my heart. Amen. He's risen in your heart as well. Let's worship him for just a few moments here tonight. Father, we give this time to you, Lord. Lord, as we seek your face at the altar, as we just worship you, Lord, as we thank you here tonight, God, we want to be quick to give you the glory, Lord. So many of these things are just, uh, can become routine to us and mundane to us that God Almighty was manifest in the flesh, Lord. Most people don't believe that. There are a lot of people in churches that don't believe that. Or they don't know what they believe. 
They don't have a sound doctrine. They don't even know what sound doctrine is, God. And Lord, I thank you that our eyes have been open, Lord. And God, I thank you that you're leading and guidance in, into all truth by your Holy Spirit. And God, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Just come and, and pray for a few minutes tonight. Just thinking about this verse or this passage when I was um, praying for a second at the altar. I'll just close with this. John says in 1 John, if we receive the witness of men. And remember John, of all the apostles, his gospel was written after many years. Like, I, don't, I forgot how many. 30 years after the other gospels were finished or maybe longer than that. And he was specifically in his gospel and his first and second and third John combating the Gnostics. They wouldn't believe that God was manifest in the flesh. Okay, that, that would have been a, a belief they wouldn't hold to. And so he makes the point, John more than any other, and I know it's the Holy Spirit through John, makes the point to show the deity of, of Christ. This was God in the flesh more than any of the others. Separate him from John the Baptist, separate him from Isaiah, David, any other prophet, any other man of God, Abraham, Moses. Uh, Jesus stands alone, okay? He is the one that was spoken of and prophesied. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, this is that justified in the spirit, which he hath testified of his son. 
he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar or made him out to be a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. It's not found any other way. And you have to believe his testimony of his Son. You can't believe any old Jesus you want to believe or half of the facts about Jesus and be okay. We have to believe in this Christ, this Son of God, as he was vindicated, validated, proved to be the Son of God in every single area. Everything that's revealed to us from the Scriptures and by the Holy Ghost that glorifies Christ, that's what we have to believe. We don't pick, well, I don't believe he really physically rose from the dead. We have to. God the Father says he did. The Bible that he's given to us and the revelation of his son includes the resurrection. You have to believe that. Okay, so you can't, and that's how we receive life. He that believeth not the record hath that God gave of his son, he says he does not have life. And this is the record. He that hath the son hath life, and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. Period. I'm glad God makes it simple. I don't have to go figure that out and put a bunch of rules and, and you know, write it down somewhere and say, here it is. He's given it to us. And the same word of God that, that is applied to my life is applied to your life and the Muslims and people all over the world, lost people. He that hath the Son of God hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life, period. That's why we preach Christ, amen. We preach him crucified and risen that people will know and believe. Amen. Father, I thank you for this night. Thank you for being with your people, Lord. I pray, thank you for uh, touching those that are sick. We pray you would heal them, God. Heal them completely. Raise them up, Lord. And I thank you that by your stripes we're healed. I thank you for being with us tonight, Lord. And help us not to forget the things that by your spirit and by your word, you are teaching us and showing us. Help us to walk in those things and grow in Christ because of those things, Lord. Jesus' name we pray, amen.